You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. Well, we are in First Peter. Um, the series is called the, the Way of Jesus, Real, Hard, and Hopeful. Um, you know, so far, you know, Peter has told you that you've been born again to a living hope uh, through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, which God is keeping for you, guarding for you. And that's good news. That's the, that's the gospel. Uh, and now we're in that part of the letter where Peter is instructing us as, as, as believers in Jesus how to live in response to that God-initiated gospel reality. Today, we come to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. If you don't have a Bible with you, it's printed in the bulletin, and you can follow along there. If you're able, uh, if I could ask you to stand one more time for the reading of God's Word. 1 Peter 2, uh, beginning at verse 4. As you come to him, A living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is God's inerrant word. You may be seated. Before we start, let's pray together. Father, we would ask by your Holy Spirit to uh, come among us, illuminate our minds that we might uh, not only hear but understand your word and more than that, live by your word. Uh, not for our own sake, but for, your, for the sake of your son Jesus and for your glory. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to unpack this passage under uh, three headings, okay? First, the living stone. Second, living stones, plural. And then third, and finally, the mercy that moves us. So it's the living stone, living stones, 
and then the mercy that moves us. First, the living stone. Well, it's clear from uh, what Peter says here that Jesus is the living stone. And I want to explore three implications of that reality with you. First implication is that the fact that Jesus is the living stone means that there is no middle ground with Jesus. And if you've ever read the Gospels, of course, you know that, right? It's one of the arresting things about Jesus. He always made it clear that there was really no comfortable middle ground with him. You were either for him or uh, against him, right? And now in Peter's uh, terminology here, as he quotes from the Old Testament, he's either your cornerstone or he's your stumbling stone. It all depends upon uh, your relationship to Jesus. And and that was one of the outrageous claims of Jesus, right? That your destiny as a human being depended upon how you related to him. If he's your cornerstone, Peter says, then honor is yours. You will receive honor. Uh, But if he is your stumbling stone, you will be put to shame. That's that's a harsh reality. Of course, as we've watched unfold the tragic uh, uh, recent uh, events in Surfside in Florida with the collapse of the condominium, you know from from the ongoing news stories that there there are going to be people uh, as a fallout of this who are going to be put to shame, right? People who uh, designed, who built, who certified, who inspected and let pass a weak foundation, uh, an inadequate, hey buddy, (laughs) an inadequate cornerstone. Uh, And as a result, innocent people died, right? Well, Peter is saying, look, that's, in essence, the same principle, spiritual principle with your life. If, if Jesus is your cornerstone, you will stand, uh, stand and ultimately receive honor. If, if, uh, if Jesus is not your cornerstone, then your life, uh, like those condominiums, will ultimately collapse because there is no other adequate cornerstone. So that's the first implication. Second implication of Jesus being the living stone is, think about it, right? He's the living stone who's the cornerstone. A cornerstone is, a, is part of a building's foundation, uh, which means, of course, the implication being that Jesus has to be the foundational reality uh, of your life. He, he has to be what you are putting the weight uh, of your life on, um, Right, the non-negotiable reality. But you know, the cornerstone is a rich is a rich metaphor because cornerstones don't just bear weight, especially as buildings were were designed and 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 built back then. A cornerstone determined all of the angles and the lines, and ultimately, of course, the shape uh, of the building. Everything about the building is measured from the cornerstone. That's why it was so important, not only as a weight-bearing stone, but as sort of the plumb line for every line and angle 
uh, of the building. Uh, implication for you, that means Jesus has to be not only your foundation, but now I'll switch the metaphors on you. He has to be the tracks on which your life runs. Right? He has to give shape and direction uh, to your day-to-day life. Right? You don't just believe in Jesus, right? sign the card, go up at a rally, uh, bury him in the foundation somewhere, and then functionally forget him. You know, a lot of people in America that think that's what being a Christian is. No, he, he is not only your foundation, he is, he is the determiner of everything about your life, right? How you, how you behave, what you do, how you think, the decisions you make, all have to run on that track that Jesus establishes. So that's the second one. So, so no middle ground with Jesus. He's, you know, he's both your, he's the cornerstone in terms of your foundation and your life, right? And then finally, the third implication of Jesus being the uh, living stone is that um, he is, as the living stone, Peter tells us, chosen and precious to God. And yet, even though he was chosen and precious to God, he was rejected by men. And the sad and accelerating truth is that Jesus is still being uh, rejected today uh, by men and women. Implication, uh, if you are a follower of Jesus, you will be rejected too. You know, adopt Jesus' values, live according to his commands, declare his praises, and you will be accused of being naive, uh, intolerant, hateful, anti-intellectual, and weak. I mean, we're we're all feeling it now, right? We we, we sense that, um, uh, you know, our culture is is moving away seemingly at an, at a growing speed uh, from any consensus with with the uh, with Christian truth the brokers of power in our culture whether that's educational power or political power uh, business power financial power uh, those brokers of of that kind of power uh, are finding less and less in common with uh, with Christian truth and more and more to to push against right we, we see it and and a number of of you are concerned and it 's right to be concerned what 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 isn 't appropriate for followers of Jesus is to be afraid right? you think about Jesus right he never played to the power brokers. <laughs> Never played to the power brokers in in his day. He, uh, why? Well, because Jesus, and and this is of course a pattern in the, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. God and then the Son uh, operate in with humanity in such a way that they show us where the real power lies, right? Which is why. As Paul says, God uses the weak to shame the strong, right? He uses the, the small to defeat the, the large. Um, uh, 
So, so concerned, yes. Should we be concerned? Absolutely. Should we be afraid? No. Right? This is, uh, w- w- you know, the Lord is with us. He was rejected. We're going to be rejected. And, and your short-term rejection, whatever shape that takes, right? Whether it's, you know, just being marginalized, kept out of decision loops, um, ridiculed, fired, whatever, whatever it means in our culture, and, it, and, and the stakes are rising, um, ultimately that translates to your long-term glory and honor, which is the, that's the, the biblical pattern. It's the Jesus way, suffering and then glory. And so much of American Christianity wants to flip that. Right? We, we want the glory now. And, and, and no, to follow, to follow Jesus is to suffer now and to know glory later. Okay? So those are three implications of Jesus being the living stone. Now let's turn to the second heading, living stones. If Jesus is the living stone, as you come to him, verse 4, and as you, you, the way you come to Jesus is by faith. As you come to Jesus by faith, you become, says Peter, like living stones yourselves. Your, your living stones that are being built up into a, what he calls a spiritual house. Not sure exactly why he used that term. Uh, he could have said just temple. That's, I, that's almost certainly what he means, a temple, uh, you know, a dwelling where, where God uh, especially dwells. Um, I was talking to my son, and he reminded me, he's a classics teacher, and, and he reminded me of uh, the greatest king of Sparta, uh, Agesilaus the Great. Uh, Agesilaus the Great was once asked uh, why the city of Sparta didn't have uh, walls. And uh, Agesilaus turned and pointed to the citizens of Sparta in full armor and said, these are the Spartans' walls. Is that a quotable quote? I mean, that's, that guy's the man. These are the Spartans' walls. Yeah. I now understand why Jim studied classics. I mean, that's cool. And you think, and, and, and you know, the, the, the fear, what, what, the, what was so feared in the ancient world was the Spartan phalanx, right? These guys would stand shoulder to shoulder and interlock their shields, and nobody was going to stand before them. Um, and, and, Peter is saying, you know, in a spiritual sense, that's you. Uh, You are the walls of the church of Jesus Christ. Every man and woman here among you, a stone in that wall. Three implications of that truth. Okay. First, Christianity is a team game. seems in recent times we have downplayed that truth, right? Christianity is a team game. There's no such thing as a single stone wall, right? A single stone making up a wall. 
Uh, and likewise, there's no such thing as a solitary Christian. We are necessarily, as believe, individual believers, we are bound to the cornerstone, and then we are also bound to the other living stones. Right? We're mortared together uh, as, as believers in Jesus. When, when uh, he first became a Christian, C.S. Lewis was not a big fan of the church. Uh, didn't want to go, didn't feel like he needed to go, thought he could do church better in his own rooms at Oxford. Um, uh, he, he knew that he was uh, undoubtedly, when he went to church, the smartest man in the room. Uh, Lewis, at that time, was a bit of an Oxford snob, uh, you, you might say conceited. Um, but as he studied the scriptures uh, and... Uh, and as he, he continued to go, even though he, 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 he wasn't a fan, uh, his mind was changed. Uh, and, and he realized the, not only the, the importance, but the absolute necessity uh, of the church, uh, the spiritual house of which we are all uh, living stones, right? Um, and and let, let me read a quote to you. This, he's talking about the church. And he, and he said this, I came up against different people of quite different outlooks and different education. And then gradually my conceit just began peeling off. I realized that the hymns, which he didn't like, he thought they were sixth rate poetry. I realized that the hymns were being sung with devotion and benefit by an old saint in elastic side boots. Now, I take it elastic side boots is, are, are something that uh, an Oxford Don would never be caught dead in. Okay? He says, I, I realized that the hymns were being sung with devotion and benefit by an old saint in elastic side boots in the opposite pew. And then you realize that you aren't fit to clean those boots. The church, said Lewis, gets you out of your solitary conceit. What a, what a convicting statement. And, and, and what, a, what a true statement. You know, we are an absolutely unique institution. We are the only institution founded by Jesus Christ. We are the only institution that's going to survive the world. And we are not, and, and in that unique status, we're not like any other human organization where we're bound together by, you know, the fact that we're, we're alike or that we share common interests, right? Like a, like a social club or an interest group. Um, we're the temple that Jesus is building, says Peter. We're, we're the body that, that Jesus is growing, says Paul. Uh, and and so even though we are all different and it's and we're different intentionally right it's clear god is god chooses his stones from every tribe every tongue every nation right every educational background every socioeconomic background he's pull, he's intentionally pulling together different people differently gifted people which means what? We need each other. Every time we admit new members here, I say that, right? These new members have come to us, which is, is an obvious sign from the Lord that we need these people. 
Whatever they bring, we need them. They're, they're filling a gap uh, in our wall uh, here uh, at New Life. So uh, we need each other, and, the, and therefore we have to, have to cooperate and, 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 and work on complementing each other, right, as we work together, especially in our differences, Not, not retreat to our corners <laughs> and, and shout at each other, but to, but to come together uh, uh, even in our differences uh, and work together for the, for the gospel. So Christianity is a team game. That's the first implication. Second implication is that the Holy Spirit operates inside the church in a, in a, a special way, right? Uh, Peter isn't using this uh, spiritual house or temple imagery by accident. This is, he's being intentional, right? Uh, in verse nine, he, 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 he refers to you and me in this beautiful chain of descriptors, right? A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Peter didn't come up with those words. I mean, he lifted those right out of the Old Testament. That's right out of the book of Exodus. Those are, that's how God described Israel. Same exact words. So Peter is reminding us that, that we, together, right, and we're mostly Gentile, but we have some Jewish believers here, uh, that we together have been grafted into Israel. And, and just and, and Israel, right, used to meet in the temple. That was where they, they met with God in the temple. But the temple was superseded. At the moment Jesus was, was killed, the, the curtain that, that separated the Holy of Holies was torn in two from top to bottom, right? Graphic demonstration from the Lord that, that a new way to, to relate to him, a new way to come to him has been created. And that's, of course, through the body the torn body of his son, uh, uh, Jesus. Um, but so now we meet, not in the temple anymore. That's done. Where do we meet? In, in the temple of the living stone, the temple of his body. Uh, we, we, we meet with God in a special way here. Of course, of course God is, is omnipresent, and, and, and of course we... We commune with him individually, but in a special way. Something special happens corporately uh, in the church. And, and, you know, this is the perfect time to say that you, you guys have probably experienced this just recently, right? Compare your experience of uh, worshiping online, as we had to do for so long because of COVID, uh, versus the experience of, of coming together and worshiping physically together face-to-face, right? There's no comparison. Why? I mean, it's th- the same thing is happening. Uh, and you're probably wearing your pajamas at home. Uh, but... You know, the same words are spoken, the same things are happening, uh, but the Spirit goes to work in a special way when the living stones actually physically come together in the name of Jesus. And, and um, 
I'll give you another example of that, which uh, I've, I am aware of every Sunday. Um, as most of you know, I, I preach my sermons to Linda, uh, first my dog and then Linda, um, uh, on Sunday morning early before church. And uh, uh, it's, the, you know, it's the exact sermon. I've got it right here. I, I preach it to Linda in my den. And, um, and then a couple hours later, I preach it here. And, and it becomes something very different. Every week, something different happens. And it's not just word choice. I mean, sometimes that, I mean, that of course, changes. And it's not just, as you know, as you realize often to your chagrin that Ted has gone off script, um, which tends to add to the length, but right, right that some, some thought has occurred to me and I, and I, um, you know, and that comes into the sermon and, and invariably people come up and say, oh, that really spoke to me. You know, can I see your notes? I go, man, it's not in my notes, right? Um, that's, uh, you know, that's obviously the spirit working, but mostly it's, it's just an intangible. It's just, there's something about doing this together, right? Preaching is never a one-way street. It, there's, there's interaction going on. We're learning together and, and, um, uh, you know, so the spirits at work in a special way here, and, and that ought to uh, give you confidence. It ought to give you hope. It ought to give you strength, and it ought to give you a good reason not to be afraid. I mean, we're, we're living stones in a in a in a spiritual temple where the spirit of the living God is at work, and it also means that we should expect great things. We should expect remarkable, humanly impossible things to happen, right? Um, The Lord's at work here. So uh, all those people that we humanly write off as, as, you know, we ought to see coming to to faith. We, you know, people that have left the faith, we ought to see returning. Um, This is, uh, you know, this is what God does. We ought to see people uh, dying Dying in the faith with peace. Right? We ought to see the Holy Spirit healing us so that we can continue to work. Um, so that's the second implication of us as living stones. The third is, is that living stones are also priests. And here Peter cheated a little, right? He mixed the metaphors. Um, he not only do you make up the church as living stones, but Peter says you operate as, as priests within the church. You are, he says, a holy priesthood. You. And as priests, Peter says, we have two things to do. Um, and, and again, not, this isn't qualifying us to the Lord. This isn't saving us. This is, this is responding, right? Um, we... These two things we have to do. One of them is pr- primarily vertical. It's 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 God, it's Godward related, um, and and then one of them is primarily horizontal. It's it's, it's concerns uh, one another here in the church and our friends and family outside the church. First, vertically, he says in verse five, we offer spiritual sacrifices to God. It's important that, you know, every word there is important. The spiritual sacrifices, right? We're, we're, not, we're not getting into the 
animal sacrifice business. That, that is done. That was superseded when the, when the temple was superseded. Uh, why? Because the definitive once and for all sacrifice, the, the sacrifice that all those animals pointed forward to, Right, the gift, the 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 the, the offering up by uh, by the Lord of Jesus Christ, His only Son, as a sacrifice to cover our sins. That definitive once for all sacrifice has been made. Right, so there are no more sacrifices in that sense to be made. So, what are spiritual sacrifices? Well, um, they are, and and Peter says this later. Uh, Paul talks about it. The writer to Hebrews talks about it. Uh, You see some of it, sometimes it's referenced in the Psalms, that spiritual sacrifices are, uh, in essence, the the fruit of our lips in in one sense, right? They are the expressions of our worship, our gratitude, our praise for what God has done for us in the sacrifice of Jesus, Right? So we, uh, and, and then more, more comprehensively, Romans 12, uh, right, we present our bodies as what? Living sacrifices uh, to the Lord. We, we consecrate ourselves to, to him and to his service. Those are spiritual sacrifices. So that's what we do. We, um, and notice, I want you to notice in verse 5 that all our worship is only acceptable to God as it goes through Jesus Christ. Again, every word matters there. What we do here, and please don't ever get it into your mind that, you know, that coming to your, coming to church, you're sort of building up credit in your, your bank account with God that, uh, that if you, you know, or that, that somehow what we are doing here is, is, uh, giving us a greater, um, uh, you know, greater leverage with God or greater honor before God. Look, our, even our best worship is imperfect, right? And, and, and what God is mercifully, what Peter is saying here is that God mercifully accepts our worship and, and regards it acceptable because it's coming to him through Jesus Christ. Right? It's coming to him in the name of Jesus Christ. It's coming to him from people who, who are under the blood, Right, whose sins have been forgiven, and so all of the imperfections of our worship, of your worship, um, are are under the blood of Jesus, and they're made acceptable to God through Jesus. Which is, man, that's good news, right? Because my mind can wander in prayer to, to know that that my worship is nevertheless acceptable through Jesus Christ is a good is good news. And second, on a horizontal horizontal level, verse 9 and and although this speaks to what happens in the church, I think primarily the reference is to um, what happens not not so much declaring the praises to God, uh, but the excellencies to God, but declaring them to one another and declaring them outside the church. Right? He says, we're called as priests to proclaim the excellencies or the perfections of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay. So we are, we have, we are priests. We're a, we're, a, we're a holy priesthood. We're a royal priesthood uh, with two tasks, to, to offer spiritual sacrifices to the Lord and declare his excellencies to one another and to 
our unbelieving friends and neighbors. Um, that makes us countercultural, you know. We are in every way a countercultural community uh, by our worship, by our testimony, by, uh, and as we saw last time, last week, by our love for one another. Uh, we, we declare that we belong to a whole other order of reality, that our allegiance lies in another place, another kingdom, another king, um, and the one that will outlast the universe, Jesus Christ. And that's, that's also why we get opposed and rejected. So, last point, how do you do all this? Uh, you know, where do we find the motivation and the power to be living stones that, that will build up and cooperate with, with each other and complement one another? Where, where do we find the motivation and the desire to, to, to worship, uh, to declare his excellencies uh, here and in our neighborhoods? What, what, what's going to move us to do that, empower us to do that? Uh, That's the third and final heading, the the mercy that moves us. Now, you know, there's mercy everywhere here, but but let's focus on verse 10 where where Peter mentions mercy explicitly, right? Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Again, these words didn't just come to Peter. He didn't make them up. Um. He's steeped in the Old Testament scriptures. He was taught uh, by Jesus. And, and Jesus, of course, taught him that all of this Bible points to him. Um, he lifted that right out of the Old Testament book of Hosea. And what I want to do here in this last couple of minutes is just show you what a, what, how brilliant that is of Peter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to remind us that we have received mercy and the way he reminds us that we've received mercy is to remind us of the Hosea story. Some of you know the Hosea story. Some of you may not. Hosea was a prophet in Israel who was perhaps of all of God's prophets in history given his most difficult assignment. Uh, He was, you know, most prophets preached, right? Right? And he did that. But he was also, in addition to, to preaching, uh, he was ordered to model in real life, in his marriage and in his family life, how Israel was being unfaithful to the Lord. And the way he was to do that is, is, is God told him to marry a prostitute. And, uh, and, and, and have children with her even though this prostitute would continue to be serially serially unfaithful to him. Um, And so he did that. He took uh, a prostitute as a a wife. Her name was Gomer. um, And they had children. God gave them very unusual names, or he told Hosea to give them very unusual names. The second child was named Not My People. And the third child was named No Mercy. And, and God gave Hosea the explanation for why I'm having your kids have those names because I'm no longer going to have mercy uh, on Israel and Israel is no longer my people because of their unfaithfulness to me. Right. Remember, God would often compare Israel's unfaithfulness to 
going after prostitutes, right? They would, they would run after idols and run after other religions and uh, run after, uh, you know, money, sex, and power. Um, and, and Jesus says, you're being unfaithful. You're, you're, you're in, the, in the old King James, you're, you know, you've gone a whoring away from me. Um, and so, um, and, and of course, Hosea's life turns out, I mean, it's ugly. He's, he's essentially a single father. She never sticks around. Uh, she, she shacks up with, with other men. Uh, and yet, all during that time, anonymously behind the scenes, without her knowledge, Gomer's knowledge, Hosea is supporting her, getting money to her, getting food to her uh, and to her lovers. Uh, again, why? Because he's showing how God was continuing to, even in this outright rebellion of Israel, God was continuing to bless them. Hard stuff. And then one day God tells Hosea, go out and find, find Gomer and bring her home. Bring her home. This, and bring her home for good. Um, and so he does. And he finds her. And, and now he finds her not just a prostitute, but her life has devolved in such a way that she's now been sold into slavery. And so he buys her and, and brings her home. And, um, and God said that right there, that right there, right? This, this man goes out to find this wife who wants nothing to do with him, doesn't want to be married to him, who's been serially unfaithful, and, and is enslaved, and so he has to take more money and buy her out of slavery, and he has to take her home and live with her as his wife. And God says, that right there is the picture of what I'm going to do to Israel. It's, it's just so powerfully poignant. Right. And, and of course... You know, we're, we're now Israel, right? We've been grafted in. That God would seek out his unfaithful people while they're being unfaithful, why they don't want to have anything to do with him, and speak tenderly to them and allure them back. And God says in Hosea, when that day comes, uh, I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. Isn't that a great What a great story. Peter is reminding us here in verse 10, not just that we've received mercy, but that we've received mercy that way, that remarkably, that powerfully, that costly, right? And we we received mercy not because we deserved a shred of it. We're all as messed up and undeserving as Gomer. Right, Romans five eight. Paul, Paul's saying the same thing, and in Paul's way, right? God shows His love for us in this: that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in rebellion, while we still were, were, were not wanting anything to do with Him, Jesus died for us. Um, that's the mercy that moves us, friends. It's that. If we, it's that that propels you into worship. It propels you into proclamation. Uh, it propels you into love for one another, love for your neighbor. Uh, it propels you into 
uh, lifting others up and cooperating and complementing, work, working in, in complementary fashion with people, all because you have been loved by your unbelievably faithful and tenacious husband, Jesus. I'll close with this. Um, one of my favorite Christian songs is a song about Hosea uh, by Andrew Peterson. And uh, I'm not going to sing. The f- I want you to hear. I'm going to read the final verse to you. I'm not going to sing it. Um, it's Gomer speaking. And, and she says this. Well, I sang and I danced like I did as a young girl. Hosea, Hosea. I am a slave and a harlot no more. You washed me clean like a summer rain, and you set me free with that ball and chain. Hosea, I threw away the key. I'll never leave. Hosea, Hosea. You you see where Andrew Peterson is with his poetic mind is going, right? That she had seen her marriage to Hosea as nothing but a ball and chain, right? She wanted her freedom. She wanted her men. And she wanted to enjoy life as she wanted to enjoy it. She wanted to escape her responsibilities as a mother. Um, but she came to understand that it was in that marriage, it was in that it was that merciful and tenacious commitment to her as a bride, as his bride, right? That she found her freedom. And so she said, This isn't, you know, so this ball and chain, I'm throwing away the key. Because what I thought was not my freedom is absolutely the source of my freedom and my joy, right? Um, Listen, when we begin to internalize that reality in our own lives, um, that it was Jesus' merciful, tenacious commitment to his bride, which includes you and me, um, which brought us home and and brings us true freedom, then uh, our Christian duties, our Christian responsibilities will become our Christian desires and our Christian joys. Then the yoke becomes what Jesus said it, it was, right? Easy. The burden light. You know, tragically, I, I hear of people, talk to people that, that walk away from Christianity because they say, it stifles my freedom. And I, and I just pray for them as they go that they will see that not, you're, just, you're just walking like, like Gomer into real slavery. That it's as you bear the yoke of Jesus, right? As you in, embrace his embracing of you uh, that we, t- we find our true freedom and joy, right? That, that's a God we want to boast about. It's a God we want to worship. A God who loved us when we were unlovable continues to love us even though we continue to be unlovable. In fact, we worship in in light of the truth that because of Jesus, God will never unlove us and never unforgive us. We are his prized possession. We are his people bought and paid for with his blood. What a... What a great, what a great piece of news, right? The gospel. Amen.
Would you pray with, silently with me for, for two minutes and then I'll close. And, and as you pray, perhaps meditate on the mercy that the Lord has shown you. Um, if you're having trouble seeing it, ask him to show you his mercy even more and make it an animating force in your life. Also pray maybe how you should function as, as a priest here, as a living stone here, okay? A couple of ideas as, as, you, as you go to prayer. So let's, let's pray silently and then uh, in a couple of minutes I will, uh, I'll close this up. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you didn't regard your deity something to be held on to, but humbled yourself for us and were obedient even to the point of death on a cross. Lord, we worship you. We worship the name of Jesus. And we look forward to the day that when in our war-torn world full of shooting shooting sprees and violence we look forward to the day that the name of Jesus at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father thank you in Jesus name amen you've been listening to Ted Hamilton senior pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church Escondido Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church Escondido reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.